Well, it's that time of the week once again to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sabalero, and with me always is my good friend, Kelly Grayson. And I have one question for you, Kelly. Are you there? I'm here. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? All right, you're taking too. You're taking too long. You're taking too long. But uh, pineapple on pizza? Yeah. Oh my! No! No! Oh, no! My oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! I didn't expect to get such a response. But uh, that's an open-faced Hawaiian sandwich, or whatever you want to call it. It's not a pizza right. if it has pineapple on it. No, I do want you to be on your <sighs> best behavior today. And uh, everybody's probably read from the show notes that we do have a special guest, and uh, we have a before, distinguished visitor. We do, but I, I want you to be on your best behavior because you always kind of uh, embarrass me uh, when our when this, this Hall of Famer, we'll call him a podcast Hall of Famer too, is on. Our editor-in-chief, the one and only, Greg Fries. Greg, welcome to the show once again. It shouldn't be this long that you're coming back to join us. Well, Chris, Kelly, again, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I was uh, reading, I think, some sort of thread or article about the persistent question asked of paramedics and emergency nurses and emergency physicians. What's the worst thing you've ever seen? And there was a whole host of people that <laughs> use a stock answer to that question of uh, pineapple on pizza is the worst thing they've ever seen, which then diffuses and distracts the question asker and then also uh, prevents or, I guess, gives a, a, a way out of answering presumably a, a terrible question about what's the worst thing you've ever seen. And then I think the other, I think, equally intriguing response is, well, I'd rather tell you about the greatest thing I've ever seen in the back of an ambulance or in the emergency department, uh, which could be uh, maybe a more uplifting story for not only the storyteller, but the recipients of the story. So uh, I'm willing to eat anything on a pizza. I'm an opportunarian. All right. That's good to know. <laughs> I'm, so. I'm in. I'm, I wonder where my stock answer ranked in that hierarchy. When people ask me the, what's the most horrible thing you've ever seen, I just say my paycheck. Ah, very <laughs> good, very good. So <laughs> let's go ahead and get to yeah. some really meaningful stuff. But, uh, Greg, you know, once again, uh, EMS1, Fitch & Associates, it's the 2019 EMS Trend Report is out once again, and you're here to join us. Kind of talk about some of those highlights. You know, it's the fourth year that it's out, but we've changed some methodology. It's really the second year that we're kind of looking at this new data. But maybe just for the people that aren't aware of the trend report, just kind of give them a little bit of an overview of what's it all about and what does it mean? So the trend report is uh, looking at how EMS is changing over time. Uh, first two years, we looked at a representative cohort of about 100 EMS agencies uh, we were collecting uh, lots and lots of data, uh, almost an overwhelming amount from a fairly small group of agencies. The second year, the participation uh, dwindled, and we were still overwhelmed with data, but unable to be sure how representative it actually was. So in 2018 and 2019, EMS1, as well as our partners at Fitch & Associates and our friends at the National EMS Management Association, we retooled the survey to really look at uh, opinions and beliefs of, of field providers of both ground and air, managers, CEOs, owners, medical directors, educators, dispatchers, and it was all-comers survey. So we uh, collected data from a convenience sample 
Uh, this year, we more than doubled the number of respondents. Nearly 3,000 people uh, completed the survey. Just over half of them were field providers. We did 10 times the number of medical directors that participated this year compared to the previous year. And we still had a, also a really good a response from, I guess, chiefs, upper managers, or even ambulance company owners uh, that uh, self-selected in to answer the questions of the trend report. You know, you guys uh, both know that I am generally a pretty optimistic, and if uh, given mm-hmm. the choice, I'd love to talk about puppies and rainbows and unicorns and things that I just love and enjoy. The trend report, uh, unfortunately, is revealing trends that I think are really worrisome and have me uh, pessimistic about the future of our industry in a way I've never been before. And I will summarize the uh, trend report. Uh, Artsia wrote a great article that's part of the uh, actual report that can be downloaded from EMS1, and there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, But the way I capture where we're going is the people are telling us they are broke financially and broken mentally Mm -hmm. and physically, and it's the system that needs fixing. As Art very eloquently uh, puts in the document, uh, we've put a lot of energy into trying to identify and fix uh, broken people, uh, Mm -hmm. whether it be burnout or traumatic stress, and then uh, the people are telling us that the pay is awful. Um, And, you know, as Art says, like, let's stop making broken people to fix and instead focus on improving and fixing the system or replacing the system uh, that's causing people to break uh, or be broke financially. And of course, that is not uh, fixes that we can sort of put together here in the next five minutes. Uh, But it's been, I think Kelly's often put it as that, you know, there's not a paramedic shortage. There's a shortage of paramedics willing to work for 10 or 11 or $12 an hour, especially willing to pick up and move cross country to do so. Uh, This wage issue uh, is I think really significant for our industry and really in a way that other industries, you know, when you query engineers or architects or nurses about, you know, what keeps them on the job, pay is maybe in the top five, but it's rarely the number one issue. In our industry, it's increasingly clear to me, not just based on anecdotes, but the data we're beginning to collect that pay is what's pushing people out, uh, the Mm -hmm. lack of it, or keeping good applicants from even applying uh, to become EMTs or paramedics. Greg, I have a question. The in reading the 2018 report and 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 the 2019 report now, one of the things I've noticed that in common between both of those, there seems to be a disconnect between optimism or or the state of uh, their perception of the future of EMS between the leaders and medical directors of the agencies and the actual field crews. Um, it would seem that the the people who are out there providing the care, uh, the grunts, the field crews, uh, seem to be a lot more pessimistic about uh, about the the state of our profession uh, when compared to uh, the leaders and the policymakers. Why do you think that is? 
You know, so I think that's a great observation and probably what's been among the most startling findings of the 2018 and 2019 trend report is asking people about their optimism for the future. And, you know, on the glass uh, half full side, uh, 57% of respondents uh, when given a choice, uh, you know, to rate on that disagree to strongly agree scale, pick to mm-hmm. agree or strongly agree, but that means uh, 43% were either neutral, disagree, or strongly disagree. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, this, uh, I guess, both the downward trend and then the gap in field providers. And I think it's likely to be worse than what the data are showing. Again, this is a convenience sample. And I suspect that we're more likely attracting people that are engaged with the profession and willing to answer 30 plus survey questions that might take them about 10 minutes to do. Um, and, and just by nature of being engaged in the profession, I think more often than not, those are people that are going to have positive feelings about EMS. Generally speaking, you know, as you look around your colleagues or people that uh, you interact with regularly at a station or a hospital, you know, the people that are really, really negative on EMS they're probably not spending any extra time taking surveys uh, with yeah. the exception of maybe some that are so miserable that they want to make everyone else miserable. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, the, the other thing I think that you mentioned is that, you know, as we look at um, the data in 2018 and 2019, the only increase we're seeing are in medical directors feeling more optimistic it's a really sample, small sample size. We went from about 15 in 2018 to 150 in 2019. And then the uh, flight paramedic nursing cohort, you know, I think some of that we might attribute to just it's a different sample uh, potentially. And then uh, certainly medical directors are, that are engaged enough with EMS to take a survey are likely mm-hmm. to be really positive and high on EMS. Uh, which, you know, there's also another interesting contrast um, that, you know, medical directors uh, feel like they're really positive and engaged with EMS and uh, field providers more often than not in the trend report are saying our medical directors are not engaged and connected to us. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting, hence where where that disconnect is. You know, what, one of the things that I, I think I'm lucky enough Greg, is, is to actually be part of this trend report. I've had the opportunity to kind of see it every year and, and to comment on it as I've, you know, as I've kind of seen, you know, the trends as they happen. But one of the things that I, I commented on this time was it seems that we're putting our hands on this information. And, you know, we talk about, you know, in EMS not having the data we need and, and, you know, not having the research we need. And how do we know that the care we're doing is good? And when is somebody going to whatever it is, fill in the blank? But finally, we have this, this data. And we could even say two years in a row that we see the same trends. But it doesn't seem like anything is getting better. I mean, how do we take this information and put it into our organizations to start showing? I mean, I mean this is coming from, as you mentioned, more people this year have had the opportunity to share their opinion, but what's the answer here to try to get us to use this information to, to make better systems? 
And, and, and let me piggyback on that. I'll, I'm going to echo Chris's sentiment. One of the things that stuck out to me was, was it, we have even more data on licensed iron transport uh, being not beneficial for a great many providers, yet we, we haven't shown any major changes in, in agencies curtailing the use of, of, uh, of licensed iron. So, so how do we make that, you know, that connection between what we're, we're finding out in this trend report and actually putting it into practice? So both uh, good questions and comments. You know, I think the challenge, you know, is in to twofold. One, it's to agency leaders or in some cases owners to really reflect on what do you want to be providing right now as an experience uh, or a life for the people that, that work for your agency? Uh, and then what's the legacy that you want for your agency in five years or 25 years? And then Second, I think providers, you know, being really clear on on what your goals and aspirations are. I can point out to you one area where we are seeing a change, and this is anecdotal, uh, but I also feel like it's uh, there's some significance to it. That uh, in the first year of the trend report, one of the things that that came up was issues around retention, which continues to be retention. And I had a number of, uh, because I present these findings each year at the Pinnacle EMS conference, you know, in the first year, a number of uh, agency uh, leaders uh, bemoaned, you know, we have people, they just come here for one or two years, they work at my agency, and then they leave for nursing school, or then they leave for firefighter academy, or, oh, this is the worst, they go to medical school. And, uh, and they don't stick around. They're not making EMS a career. And I pushed back on that each time mm-hmm. it happened saying, why don't you want to own that? Why don't you want to be the agency where people come for two years of amazing field experience? And then they go on your, your employees go on to great careers in medicine, don't you think you could market that and make that mm-hmm. part of how you recruit providers of like, yes, we have graduates that have been to medical school or PA school or nursing school, and even some that, that choose to stay in EMS or become firefighters. Yeah, like, That's great. And, you know, I had conversations with uh, three different agencies at Pinnacle this year where they said, you know, we're embracing it. One agency, Durham County in North Carolina, you know, you can't uh, step 20 feet in any direction there without hitting a medical school or a place to go to nursing school. And they said they're owning it. They're creating a culture of education excellence in their organization where they want to be a place that helps launch people that are looking for a healthcare career to go to medical school or go to nursing Mm -hmm. school and it's part of a transition they're making as culture. Uh, I talked to another agency, Fast Track EMS. I want to make sure I get the, the location right. In um, Chesapeake, Virginia, same thing. They're, you know, they're part of the hiring process is asking people, what do you want to do next? How can we get you there? Um, and I talked to James Stafford about what they're doing to help their staff realize their aspirations, ambitions in healthcare. And I also talked to John Swanson at uh, MEMS in in Little Rock. And he said, they're tracking retention differently now, that they're um, 
tracking retention that if somebody is is leaves MEMS to go to nursing school, that's different than somebody that leaves MEMS uh, to go to auto mechanic school or leaves MEMS to be a truck driver. Uh, that yeah. they want to better understand their turnover because he said, you know, rethink how you define career. And, you know, I think it's great that some people choose paramedicine as their career. Uh, we could also rethink career, not as a job title, but as the work you do. So the career Mm -hmm. you choose might be healthcare provider. And during your career, you might be an EMT and then you might be a paramedic. You could become a Mm -hmm. nurse. You could then become a flight nurse. You might end up becoming a, a paramedic educator, but throughout your career, your career has been healthcare provider. Uh, And I think that, I think, you know, back to the question you guys asked is like, what are people doing with this? And I I know those are anecdotes, but I think there is uh, something to be said for agencies in three different places, reconsidering what retention means and then Mm -hmm. how they can actually use the fact that people get the experience that they need to help get into medical school or nursing school as a positive, as a recruiting tool. Well, that's three agencies right there that that um, that have with forward thinking, you know, um, uh, insightful leadership that that actually have have decided to to own that, as you put it, or to to at least flip the script and and figure out why they're they're having problems retaining people, or whether it's it's really an agency problem. But it's it's been my experience that those guys are leaders like that are far outnumbered by the leaders with absolutely no introspection and self-awareness as to why their agency can't keep people. And, and, and it's pretty simple why you can't keep people because you treat them like crap or you pay them like crap. Um, but you know, that they, they, they just don't get it. You know, the, we keep losing people to, to agency X. Well, why is it that you're, you know, the developmental league for agency X might it be because you're a, a you know, uh, a second tier outfit run by second tier people and paying second tier wages. Uh, so it's nice to see that some agencies are, are starting to, uh, that there are more and more EMS leaders out there that have, that are, 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 um, you know, addressing this and, and looking at their own uh at you know at their own doorstep and figuring out what they have to do to change things yeah you know so you know and i think that one of the things that we see here is that we've been asking this question and i know there's just so much to dissect in this report but you hit on such an important factor here when you talk about re- retention and this actually goes into recruiting now because if we can now say come to our agency gain your experience and then move on you know the the, the age-old question has been is he EMS a career field or is EMS a stepping stone? Well, a few of us, it's been a career field, but we've got to remember that we've got to invest in the people when they're with us to get ready for that next step. Maybe they're waiting to get on at the fire department. Maybe they're waiting to get into nursing school. Maybe they're waiting to get into medical school. But if we're able to invest in them and help them grow, we've got an incredible employee who's doing the best work that they can as they're preparing for their next step. And I think that that's something that we really miss out on. 
But, you know, Greg, I, I think one of the things that really kind of, you know, hit me this year as well was, and you mentioned it earlier on, was the amount of medical directors that now were able to give their opinion into this trend report. How significant is that for this report? You know, so I think it's it's certainly encouraging that this year we received some great help from uh, ASEP, uh, the American College of Emergency Physicians, and National Association of Emergency Physicians, to help get the word out to their members. And uh-huh. I think it will be more important in 2020 to then go back to those organizations and say, "Hey, we got some great input." The and and perhaps we can. 10x again, the number of uh, physician responses or even double it uh, would be uh, great. I think there's a couple things. I had an opportunity to speak with uh, Dr. David Tan, who's a member of the EMS-1 Advisory Board. He's also the current president of NAEMSP at Pinnacle. And this is a really interesting time for NAEMSP as the EMS subspecialty in emergency medicine is really taking hold with the increasing number of medical directors that have had that training and just a really much more engaged and growing pool of medical directors. So I think that's all to our benefit. The, I think the ongoing challenge though, is just the physician perception of EMS and what the challenges are for EMS. And then We're both grateful for the leadership provided by physicians, but also beholden by their regulation of our profession. And that, I think, is an enduring challenge. In other countries, you know, paramedics have been able to self-regulate. It's uh, happening uh, where paramedics lead paramedics. Uh, I think, you know, we're a long ways away from that here in the States, but, you know, how can we collaborate and partner with physicians, uh, but without always being, you know, sort of uh, waiting for the physicians to tell us how to regard ourselves or what direction for us to go? Yeah. One of, the, I think, the findings of the trend report that's really interesting is there is a question, you know, what should we call ourselves? Emergency medical services. Yeah, that was uh, interesting community paramedics, paramedicine, or mobile integrated healthcare. And it just sort of splits. Like we have nothing close to consensus. Right. <laughs> uh, the physicians uh, say we should be called emergency medical services. I, you know, there's certainly an ongoing discussion among paramedics and the American Paramedic Association. Kelly, am I getting the name right of that group? Yes. Uh, American Paramedic that, Association. Yeah. That's, you know, saying, you know, absolutely, NEMSMA, National EMS Management Association, ironically, is advocating for paramedicine. Can I circle back to the comment Kelly made about yeah. uh, employers and the, you know, one of the worries I have about just employers or managers is maybe the blind spots about what's happening in their agencies. We asked the question, do you have plans to leave? All respondents said 16% of them had plans to leave their agency in the next 12 months. 
Twenty uh. percent of field providers said they had a plan. They had plans to leave in the next twelve months, which you, know, you turn over half your workforce, or or twenty a fifth of your workforce uh, every year. That's significant. When we break out private for profit providers, twenty six percent, so more than a quarter, plans to leave in the next uh, twelve months. You know, those people essentially are already out the door. So then where do we focus? And of course, some of those are retirements or people that are going to be starting paramedic school or, Mm -hmm. you know, they've been accepted to the fire academy, but there certainly should be cause for worry there. And then there was a question that says, how would you rate your level of burnout as a self-defined, you know, define burnout to you? I think in good news, 23% of respondents said no and then on the flip side we had two percent of respondents that said they're completely burned out and they need help and we rightfully should be very concerned about the life safety of our colleagues that uh, indicate that they need help i also think a lot of our attention in the last couple of years whether it be ems1 as a media site or professional organizations have focused on that very important cohort of people that their lives are in danger and they need help. Uh, But where I think we need to also be putting attention is the 43% of people that say they have less energy and more stress and the 22% that said they have one or more burnout symptoms. To be completely burned out, you first need to have one or more burnout symptoms. And, you know, we have 65% of respondents indicating less energy, more stress, or burnout symptoms. Uh, And that should be cause for worry. Those people, not only are they a potential danger, they're a retention risk. They're probably not enjoying work that much. And of course, that impacts uh, their coworkers, and it could even be impacting patient outcomes. Uh, and, you know, these things around figuring out who wants to leave your organization and why, who's burnt out and why, and what are you going to do about it today, next week, next month, next year? Mm-hmm. That should be on the mind of every manager. Oh, yeah. And and I can almost guarantee that that number is, is, is far underreported. Because when you're suffering from burnout, uh, the the overwhelming sense of futility <laughs> uh, kind of prevents you f- or, or or makes you far less likely to to participate in a survey. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, you know. Um, my question, kind of piggybacking off that, was, you know, uh, the reality is, is our workforce is is changing. It's in it's mostly it's Gen X uh, now, and and we're starting to have some Generation Z people entering the workforce, and they think differently about their careers and what is jobs and and what is meaningful in life than their managers, which which might explain some of that disconnect between uh, leadership's opinions on things and and their workforce. Uh, you know, I'm Generation X, and I'm I'm a little more uh, crusty and uh, pragmatic than than many Generation Y and Generation Z types. But uh, from your sense of things uh, in speaking with managers and whatnot at Pinnacle, how are they changing their their uh, 
policies and and how they conduct their business to better engage those millennials that work that that are uh, more concerned with improving their work-life balance and and uh, you know uh, it, it notes here uh, employee recognition and better educational opportunities and participative management um, all of those things are, are far more important to the the current two generations in the workforce than they were to mine or or to baby boomers. Did you hear anything about uh, uh, how uh, managers are approaching approaching making those changes? Yeah, so that's an interesting question, Kelly. And the for me, it's helpful to remember that uh, the oldest of the millennials are almost forty years old. Yeah. Uh, so in a lot of organizations, they've already permeated uh, mm-hmm. middle management, if not upper management. The other thing. Uh, partly maybe because of our age or the age of the people we have uh, discussions with is, you know, part of the solution is baby boomers retiring and yeah. maybe taking with them um, their, their crankiness or their expectation yeah. that cultural change uh, by attrition. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm partly jesting um, that, you know, I think as you age, you maybe forget the stresses that you had when you were a 20 something with a young family or trying to decide if you're going to buy a house or, you know, all the sort of competing things in life. And the, you know, so partly is just, there's going to be attrition and promotion and, you know, there's just demographics are forcing the issue. Uh, the most specific thing that comes to mind based on the managers I talk to is, is shift length and how people are scheduled. And I think managers might be both um, overestimating the benefits of shorter shifts and then going too slow to implement shorter shifts. Uh, as they sort of like study and gauge the impact um, that, you know, there's fatigue is a problem, burnout is a problem, wanting to have some work-life balance. Those are all problems and they can partly be uh, solved by switching from 24s to 12. And I continue to hear more people saying that they're making that switch uh, to shorter shifts. Um, which I think has a lot of positives. I think there's also, I hear from managers that say, we short, we shorten shift length and people hate it and they're leaving to go work at 24 hour shops. Uh, but then they hire in people to work those 12s. And uh, so the, the, I think there are managers that are looking for sort of specific ways you know, levers that they can pull. Um, the the one that's a real challenge, though, is like, how do you change the wages? If, you know, yeah. on one side, you, you know, we have severe reimbursement challenges that really limit income. Uh, and then on the other side, if you want to switch to 12-hour shifts and reduce utilization, you got to spend more on personnel. If you want to add benefits to make positions more attractive to retain people 
you're increasing costs while revenues are flat. And I just don't think there's a lot of people that have figured that out short of going to their taxpayers and having a supportive community yeah. that say, yes, this is a service we value and we're willing to pay for it because they recognize that reimbursement alone is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Greg, you have given us a great deal of information to unpack. Um, and if people want to read the, the EMS trend report, and there's a wealth of information in here. And if you want to know where you're, where our profession is going, well, for, uh, forewarned is forearmed. This is the information that, that, uh, that you need. How do people find the EMS trend report? Where's it published? Absolutely, Kelly. So it's on EMS One. We'll include a link on the show notes. And if they just uh, Google 2019 EMS Trend Report, they should be able to find it pretty easily. If mm-hmm. not, they could send any of us an email or a social message and we'll get that link out. The other thing is people are listening to this show. It'll probably be January of 2020 that we'll begin collecting data for the next uh, trend report. So I'd really encourage all of our listeners of Inside EMS to participate next year and then encourage your colleagues, whether they're medical directors, field providers, or somewhere in between uh, to fill out the trend report survey. It should take less than 10 minutes. Awesome. Awesome. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. What do you think are the, the most salient points from the 2019 EMS trend report? We'd like to hear your thoughts on the issue. Email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself, co-host Chris Cibolero, and our dear, revered leader, Greg Freeze. thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.